I'd like to have a prayer, and then uh, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much that we can come into the house of worship on the Sabbath day. Dear Lord, we pray this morning that the Spirit of God will be here. And we pray that thou will forgive us of our sins and that thou will help us to have open eyes to your word. That we will love you and that we will love your truth. I pray, Father, that thou will guide my mind and my lips and that thou will help me to carry out my responsibility on this day in obedience to thee. And that your blessing will rest upon us as we open thy word. And we ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to uh, the scripture reading. And that is Psalms chapter 50. Psalms chapter 50. Psalms chapter 50, and I'm reading from the King James Version of the Bible. And it says this. Excuse me. The mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken. The mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken. And called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shined. Our God shall come. And shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him. And it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth. That he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me. Those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness. For God is judge himself. Verse 5, gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. In both the Old and the New Testament, the idea of sacrifice is presented. And as you saw in your bulletin today, the title for the message was Gain by Sacrifice. And... As time allows, I would like to look at the subject of sacrifice from the Word of God today. It's a beautiful, it's a wonderful subject. It's prevalent all through the Bible. And it's a very important subject and a very instructive subject. But in Psalms chapter 50, God says, Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Now, in the New Testament, this subject is often presented, and one of the verses that many are familiar with is the first two verses in the chapter of 12 of Romans, where it says, um, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So here in the Old Testament, you have the subject of sacrifice in Psalms 50. It's prevalent throughout the Old Testament. And in Romans chapter 12, you have the subject of sacrifice again presented. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The with, with the idea of sacrifice, um, all of us do it. And by the way, and I'm going to maybe jostle your thinking a little bit, both the righteous and the wicked sacrifice. You realize that? The wicked sacrifice or give up heaven, when you sacrifice something, you give it up. The wicked sacrifice and give up heaven in order to gain what? This world. So they give, they sacrifice eternity in order to gain what? A little bit of time. The righteous do the opposite, and they sacrifice this world to gain eternity. Uh, you kind of touched on the subject today in Sabbath school class. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, one of the statements that Christ makes is he says, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? And yet lose what? His own soul. What shall profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Now, in the, in the department of righteousness, all sacrifice that is made is infinite gain. In the department of righteousness, in the department of God's kingdom, all sacrifice that is made is infinite gain. And in the department of wickedness, all sacrifice that is made is infinite loss. It was Satan's purpose, known as Lucifer from the beginning, to exalt himself above the stars of God to the throne of God. And he said, I will be like the Most High. And yet you read in Ezekiel chapter 28, the day is going to come when God will burn the devil. He will start a fire from within the midst of him. He will be turned into ashes. And the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 28, I believe it's verse 19, and never shalt thou be anymore. For him, it's going to be infinite loss. For the righteous, it's going to be infinite gain. Now, Psalms 50 says, gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Why are God's people required to sacrifice when the sacrifice, some might say, has already been made? That's a question that we can look at and explore here a little bit. But I would uh, uh, suggest to you, and I believe you would concur exactly with this, that the greatest story in the Bible of sacrifice is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ himself on the cross of Calvary. The eternal God, Christ, by the way, brothers and sisters, we sang a song today, and it was well and fine, but we must remember distinctly that the persons of the Godhead are three distinct persons. Okay. Christ's throne has been from everlasting. You and I will never be able to wrap our minds around that, but that's a fact. By the way, I can believe in a God who's always been much better than a God who had a beginning somewhere, who's going to, who's promised me eternal life, right? That's a little bit of logic. But God the Father and Christ sacrificed Christ in order to, to give us eternal life. 
You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, the Lord could have said to the angels and the rest of the onlooking universe, he could have said, you know what? That's a bad batch down there. We're going to let them get what they deserve. We're going to punish them. Did he say that? No. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ, who is the eternal God, became a man, came to this world with the full risk, the full probability that he might fail in his mission in order to redeem you and I. And the Lord is simply saying, look, you know what? I've, I've cashed in, as it were. I've risked really, and we are told in inspiration, he poured out all the treasures of the universe in order to redeem man. The Lord has said, look, I've cashed in or invested an infinite price in saving you. Now I'm asking you in response to sacrifice, right? All through the Bible, you read stories of sacrifice. Now, there is in the natural world the principle that when you sacrifice, you will gain. Okay? I brought with me a potato here. I can do uh, one of several things with this potato. God forbid that I should throw it out in the garbage. That would be a waste, right? But I can take this potato and bake it and have myself a nice meal. I've got some gain out of it, haven't I? But if I want to get even more gain out of this potato, what I'm going to do is I'm going to maybe chop it up in two or three pieces, and I'm going to put it in the ground, and then it's going to grow more potatoes. So and then in the harvest, I can reap a multiple of what I planted. Last spring, I d- dug some rows in my garden, put some composted manure in there, planted potatoes on top of that composted manure, and then covered it with dirt. And for about every potato like this that I planted, I got approximately 18 of them back just the same size. My harvest my harvest was about 18 times what I put in the soil, approximately. In the, in the natural world, you give up a seed, you sacrifice it, it dies, and you get a multiple of what you had before. Brothers and sisters, eternal life is worth every and any sacrifice that it will take. Every and any sacrifice that it will take. Paul said in uh, Philippians chapter 2, he said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. And was So he's in the form of God. Then Paul says he took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. So even as a human being, he humbled himself even more. And became obedient even unto, uh, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He went down all the way. After that, Paul says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ gave everything. And now look what he will gain out of out of that. He will gain everything. I'd like for you to take your Bibles and go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And Christ refers to his own death upon the cross. I'm in John chapter 12 and I'm looking at verse 23. John chapter 12, verse 23. 
And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verse 24. Verily, or truly, verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So you take the corn, you take the potato, you plant it in the soil, and you get a multiple of the harvest. In fact, if you will take some of that harvest, you can perpetuate and continue to live. And by the way, brothers and sisters, you know, we're, we know as Seventh-day Adventists that there's coming a time of trouble that's going to be very serious. And we have been counseled to get out of the cities into the country where we can grow a garden. Do you know if you have to, you can live on potatoes. And you know if you have to, you don't have to buy seed. When you grow your own potatoes, you store them, and you can keep the leftovers and plant them the next year. You can actually live on potatoes. If you only have this one thing, you can't even go to the store and buy buy a seed. You can put the extra potatoes back in the ground at the end of the uh, at the next spring, and you can live on potatoes if you have to. Pretty good idea, huh? Yeah. But Jesus said, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it dies, it's going to bring forth much fruit. Mm-hmm. How much? You can't calculate it, neither can I. It's, brothers and sisters, let's just say it straight. It's an insane sellout to follow the devil. A couple weeks ago, I was knocking doors. A man came to the door. I could tell something was really on his mind. I said, are you not feeling well? He said, well, or I said, are you sick? He said, no. I said, well, what's wrong? He said, I've just made my confession. I'd never heard that one before. So I said something else to him. He let me inside, and for about an hour, I tried to talk to this dear man. He was dealing with a tremendous load of guilt. And he told me someone already done wrong. I told him, I said, I'm not particularly interested in what you've done wrong. His wife was sitting there. I said, have you told your wife? He said, yeah, I've confessed to her. And he said, I went out and did stuff I shouldn't have been doing. I stole from my neighbor, and now he's dead, and, my, and his wife's dead. I said, well, you need to take that money and pay it to his children. Make it right as best you can. But for about an hour, I exhorted the man and tried to present to him from the word of God. One of the things I presented to him from the word of God is, is that, as Paul said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Brothers and sisters, we need to look at the cross of Christ and give him our hearts and give him our guilt and stop walking around in condemnation when we could be walking around with the favor of God because Christ has offered it to us. You know, when Paul describes the cross in the book of Colossians chapter 2, he says, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. The word spoiled is when you go into battle and you win the victory over your enemies and the opposition and you take all their goods. Christ went into the very domain of evil and of the evil world and of the devil and By his death on the cross, he has totally destroyed the power of Satan. You know, after I left that house and I thought about all that this man's having a terrible time trying to believe by the grace of God, I hope that my conversation with him turned him around. 
But after I left that house, I thought, you know what? The devil is one bad master to follow. Here he leads you into sin and you're wallowing in guilt and you're trying to grasp your way out of all this. He's a bad master to follow. And then when he's done with you, you know what his paycheck is? Death. Mm-mm, no. But Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he's broken the power of sin in the grave. Now, I want to try and just explain to you a little bit, and I want to get into this subject a little bit more, but I'm going to kind of take a little side uh, note here uh, because I find the subject very interesting on, on sacrifice and gain. Very interesting. But I want to take a little side note here. Brothers and sisters, you and I need to understand how to have faith in God. And in my own little feeble way, I'm going to try and explain to you as best as I can a little bit. Okay? Now, in the book of Revelation, the last chapter of the book, Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings, the prophecy of this book. Then in verse 11, it says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. This verse, Revelation 22, 11, is predicting a time when the probation of the human race will be complete. Well, it's done. Now, probation simply means this is a period of time in which you have opportunity to be saved. All right. Now, people's probation is closing every day, right, around the world. Either they die or they've maybe passed the boundary of God's forbearance. They committed the sin against the Holy Spirit. But, but on an ongoing basis, probation is closing for people all the time, every, uh, all around the world, all the time, every day. But this is specifically speaking of a time at the end of time when the Lord says, the gospel's been preached, every soul's made their decision, and now God puts his divine pronouncement on the decisions of all And then it says this. Now, listen, listen. It says, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Brothers and sisters, the great question in our minds should be, how do I determine that I am going to be on the side of the just and the righteous and not on the side of the unholy and the filthy. Isn't that right? Okay. Now let's, according to the Bible, let's just think here for a little bit very clearly. Can you and I forgive ourselves no and we cannot change ourselves in the bible when the bible describes a man who is right or a person a believer that's right with god they're described as being as being justified okay if someone is justified what are they i want you to talk to me a little bit huh they're pronounced yes if someone is justified they're completely above what Blame. Isn't that right? Hmm. Isn't that amazing? You and I have sinned, and God says, I will justify you, 
and count you as if you had not sinned? Okay? We gotta have, we've got to have this down in order to be ready for the close of probation. Okay? Let's say you, let's say you are taken to court for trespassing on your neighbor's land. All right? In order for you to be justified and not be found guilty, you must either be able to prove that you were allowed to be on your neighbor's land and it was okay for you to be on your neighbor's land, or you must prove that you were not on your neighbor's land. If you can prove one of those two points, you will be justified in the court. Isn't that right? But if you can't prove that, then you will be found what guilty. All right? Now, you and I are all going to be brought into judgment. Fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. In fact, that judgment is now convening in heaven. It's, it begins since, ever since 1844. This is far the, part of the final message. That as the last gospel message is going to the world, the judgment hour is going on in heaven. This is part of the three angels' messages. That judgment is convening right now. How can you and I be justified in the sight of God and be ready for that moment? Now, I have, I'm going to read you a quote, and then I'm going to answer the question that I just posed, all right? This happens to be a, a quote from a, from the book, Testimony. I'm getting this out of another book, but this happens to be a quote from the book, Testimonies to Ministers, page, uh, ni- I think, 92, 93. Listen to this. Brothers and sisters, a hundred and thirty years ago, approximately, the Lord sent to this church a message on the subject of salvation by faith and righteousness by faith, preeminently through two men, A.T. Jones and E.J. Wagner. And in the main, that message was rejected, and the Seventh-day Adventist Church has been not yet fulfilled its commission in giving the message to the world and being ready for the Lord's coming. I believe that message is now coming around and being revived again. Uh, By the way, uh, the message is right in the Bible. Simply the Lord had a couple of men who were studying their Bibles who were in communion with God and they were able to articulate the message. But let me read you the quote. The Lord in his great mercy sent a most precious message to his people through elders Wagner and Jones. This message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. This message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It presented justification through faith in the surety. It invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ which is made manifest in in obedience to all the commandments of God. It invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. Many had lost sight of Jesus. Many had lost sight of Jesus. They needed to have their eyes directed to his divine person, his merits, and his changeless love for the human family. 
All power is given into his hands that he may dispense rich gifts unto men, imparting the priceless gift of his own righteousness to the helpless human agent. This is the message God commanded to be given to the world. It is the third angel's message, which is to be proclaimed with a loud voice and attended with the outpouring of his spirit in large measure. Okay, so the message of the righteousness of Christ and I have a couple books here. One is called Lessons on Faith. It's articles by A.T. Jones and A.J. Wagner. Tremendous. It, these are worth, worth some of your time to read. Now, we really need to be in the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy, but these men's writings are totally worth some of your time to read. I have another one here. It's a commentary on the book of Galatians called The Glad Tidings by E.J. Wagner. This was by Jones and Wagner, both tremendous books. So, how is someone justified before God? Very important to know. What's that? Let me let me uh, let me just share a thought with you here. Okay, this is all through Paul's writings, especially in book all through Paul's writings. Of course, the Bible. Let me share a thought with you here. Jesus says, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still, and he which is filthy, let him be filthy still, and he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. How do I become righteous? Look, if you and I do, if you and I attempt to do righteous things in order to become righteous, we will not become righteous. False religion teaches you that in order to become righteous and to be right with God, you must do righteous things. True faith teaches that in order to do righteous things, you must first become righteous. And you first become righteous by faith in God. Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 2, or chapter 3, he said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? Then he says, I believe it's verse 2, he says, This only would I learn of you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Okay? So when someone has faith in God, in Christ, the Spirit of God comes into the life, gives them power, and they are now righteous before God. You see that? In the book of Galatians, Paul, or Paul, one of the names that Paul gives Christ is the name seed. Do you know that? He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Christ. Brothers and sisters, Jesus died on the cross. And because he rose again, he will duplicate himself and all who will believe in him. In other words, his spirit will come into their lives by faith. And he will live in them and he will duplicate himself in all of the redeemed. And they will reflect his character. So... The big point here is, is we cannot do something in order to be right with God. We must, in, in that sense, we cannot do something to merit something to be right with God. 
The gift of salvation is an infinite gift. We must simply accept it and receive it. And then the Spirit of God will come into the life and help us live out the new life. Okay? This only what I learn of you. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, in the Galatian churches, they thought that if they were sacri- uh, excuse me, if they thought if they were circumcised, that that was such a wonderful thing. That would make them right with God. Now, do not, and I'm going to clarify myself here, but don't misunderstand what I'm going to say. What I'm going to say here. If you're a Seventh-day Adventist and you believe that keeping the Sabbath and returning your tithes and not eating pig is going to save you, you're mistaken. That will not save you. We must have faith in Jesus. Now, if your faith is weak, you can go, you can go to Jesus and say, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief, and he will not turn you away. God doesn't have any problem saving you. He's an entire, a complete savior. But the point is, we must have faith in Christ. Now, if we truly have faith in Christ, we will not be eating pig. We will be keeping the Sabbath. And we will be returning our tithes. But we will be doing it as by faith in Christ. And then truly it will be acceptable and righteous before God. Very important distinction here to make or, and to understand. We must, and when you read the book of Galatians, in eight times in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, Paul uses the word promise. And twice in the Galatians 4, he uses the word promise. It is by the promises of the word of God that we receive Christ. We depend on those promises. The spirit of God comes into life and we live the new life. You know, if there's someone here that's come today who's not right with the Lord. You got a burden of guilt in your life. You know, you can tell the Lord Jesus during this service, I give my heart and my life to you unreserved, and he will accept you. We're told in the 7th day, 7 day of the commentary, um, um, page 433, we're told this is a quote by the Spirit of Prophecy. It says this, when probation ends, it will come suddenly and unexpectedly. When probation ends, it will come suddenly and unexpectedly. But we can have a clean record in heaven today and know that God accepts us. And finally, if faithful, we will be gathered into the kingdom of God. Are you right with God? I can't tell you if you're right with God. Only you have to settle that between you and God. But please have faith in the Lord Jesus. Do not leave this sanctuary without making an entire surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, in my hand, no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Oh, maybe you stole $100 from someone two years ago. Yeah, you can go out and make it right. That doesn't have to stop you from having faith in Christ right now. And as long as you do not neglect that duty, you take care of it in due to, you know, proper time. You're not putting it off. You write the note and you say, hey, you know, I've stolen $100 from you and I'm going to pay you back $25 a month, whatever it takes. But you can have faith in Christ right now. Okay. And brothers and sisters, faith in Christ right now will bring to you the power of the Holy Spirit to live, enable you to live above the power of sin. Paul says in, in Galatians chapter 2, he says, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore the minister of sin? In other words, if we are seeking the experience of justification by faith and we're still living in rebellion, fornication, Sabbath breaking, whatever it is, is Christ the minister of sin? He says, God forbid. True justification, true 
faith in Christ will give you power over the sin. Okay? Now, let me explain something to you. When the Spirit of God comes into the life, uh, it may not be with drums and band and lots of emotion. It may be, it may be as quiet as the beating of your heart or the operating of your liver, but the function is, is barely going on there. It is happened. When we have faith in Christ and give our hearts to Him, the Spirit of God comes into life and He gives us power to live over sin. Now, I want to take you to, um, a text in the book of Galatians here. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And I want to show you this. Galatians chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 16. Galatians 5, 16. Galatians 5, 16. Paul says this. He says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, when we receive Christ by faith, the Spirit of God comes into life. We made that decision. We're not looking for any some emotional drama. We simply make the decision. We have faith in Christ. We believe that Jesus died for us. We go to him on our knees. We give our lives to him. The Spirit of God comes into the life. Paul says, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now look at verse 17. For the flesh lust, and watch this text, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now let me explain to you what's going on in that text. Here's what Paul is saying. Once you receive Christ by faith, that does not remove the carnal nature from your soul, your body. Once we receive Christ by faith, we simply now have imparted to us the power to live above the dominion of that carnal man that's in us, and God will give us the victory. You see that? Now, until the character is perfected, we may make some failures. There's no excuse for sin. There's no reason for sin. The Bible says these things write unto you that ye sin not. But some people are fledgling in their experience. They will. They may do some stumbling and falling. We are to repent immediately, get back up and go again. But God will give us victory in our life. This I say then, Paul says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh, are you tempted? I'm tempted. I have a very carnal nature, but I have a very wonderful Savior who his spirit gives me victory over that nature. Isn't that wonderful? Was Jesus tempted? Yes. He he came and fallen human flesh, and he beat the devil 100% of the time, and he developed a perfect character, and he will give you power to perfect your character. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh... Flesh lusted against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. In other words, Paul is saying, you do not now fall into the works of the flesh. The spirit of God gives you victory. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusted against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you live, but if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Excuse me, but if you be led of the spirit, you're none under the law. Isn't that good news? Don't put the Lord Jesus off. Accept him today. Don't put him off at all. Now, God says, God says, 
Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. I would like to think with you and look with you today at some of the those who in the Bible who have made sacrifice. Some made sacrifice of heaven to gain this world, and others made sacrifice of this world to gain heaven. And I, by the grace of God, am determined to sacrifice this world in order to gain heaven. Right? Let's look at some negative ones first. Esau. Paul says in in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Esau sold his birthright for one meal. Bad decision. When Paul was writing to Timothy, he mentioned a man named Demas who had been evidently an associate worker with him. And he said to Paul, uh, Paul said to this, uh, this man, uh, to Timothy, he said, for Demas, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And is departed unto Thessalonica. Brothers and sisters, it is an insane career to live for this world and end up losing your soul and not gaining heaven. That's an insane career. Like the psalmist said, man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. There is a sacrifice, someone who sacrificed heaven for this world in the Old Testament. We don't have her name, but we have her husband's name. And Jesus said, I believe it was in Luke 17, remember whose wife. Now, when the angels came to Sodom, they said, get out of this place. It's full of fornication and homosexuality. Get out of this place. God's going to destroy it with his judgments. And Lot, you know what the Bible says? Did Lot leave? Yes, he left. But do you know what? He lingered. He lingered. And if I have it marked from a time before, I want to read to you. Yes, I've got it right here. This Patriarchs and Prophets. Listen to this. Listen to this. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 161. Again, the solemn command was given to hasten, for the fiery storm would be delayed but little longer. But one of the fugitives ventured to cast a look backward to the doomed city, that is, Lot's wife. But one of the fugitives ventured to cast a look backward to the doomed city, and she became a monument of God's judgment. If Lot himself had manifested, now listen to this. Talk about the impact of personal influence. Don't a one of you say, oh, poor me, I'm no nothing in the kingdom of God. Absolutely not. We are all casting an influence either for Christ or for the world, either for Christ or for the devil. Never underestimate what your influence might be doing, consciously or unconsciously. We don't know. But look what Lot's momentary bad example did to his wife. One of the fugitives 
ventured to cast a look backward to the doomed city, and she became a monument of God's judgment. If Lot himself had manifested no hesitancy to obey the angel's warning, if Lot himself had manifested no hesitancy to obey the angel's warning, but had earnestly fled toward the mountains without one word of pleading or remonstrance, his wife also would have made her escape. The, the Bible calls Lot a righteous man. But his wife won't be with him in the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. You know what Jesus says? He says, behold, I come quickly. Revelation 3. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. I would ask you today, is there something you are sacrificing and in essence, in reality, giving up heaven for it? Is there? Examine your heart. Is there some cherished sin? Is there something you're doing? Are you watching? Are you spending time on the internet or media or something that should not be spent? Are you looking at things that are inappropriate, that are sinful? Give it up. Give it up. Jesus says it's better to pluck out an eye and, and go to heaven without the eye than it is to have your whole body burned in hell. He says if, it, if need be, he says cut off the hand and get rid of your hand in, in order to, yeah, gain heaven. It's worth the sacrifice. By the way, when you get to heaven, even if you go there without a hand and an eye, you'll have all your hands and eyes in heaven anyway. And this is obviously not literal language. Because I promise you, if you have a bad mind and you pull out one eye, it's not going to make your mind better. In order for your mind to be better, you've got to have faith in Christ and be converted to him. Okay? Balaam. He was a good prophet gone bad. That doesn't happen very much, but he was evidently a good prophet gone bad, and he was hired by the enemies of Israel to try and curse Israel. And when he went to curse Israel, he couldn't curse them, and all he could say was blessings. But one of the things he said in his prophecy, I believe it's there or Numbers 23 or 24, he said this, he saw heaven, he saw the future life as he was under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And he said, oh, that I might die the death of the righteous and that my last end might be like his. He saw the reward, but he sold his soul for a little bit of money. Some people are selling their souls for a million or two. Some people are selling their souls for a dollar or two. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Are there things in your life you need to sacrifice? Are you eating something you shouldn't be eating? Are you watching something you shouldn't be watching? Hmm. How are you spending your time? Is heaven your goal or do you love this world? You know, in Isaiah chapter 66, verses 15 through 17, in fact, let's go and read this. This is a text worth looking up. They're all worth looking up, but let's look this one up. Isaiah 66, I want you to look at the last chapter in the book of of Isaiah. Yeah, the last chapter in the book of Isaiah, 66 and verse 15. This is talking about the second coming of Christ. God's judgments at the end of the world. 
Isaiah 66, verse 15. Are you there? Last chapter in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 66, 15. For behold, the Lord will come with fire, just like Psalms 50. For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. Verse 17. Now watch. They that sanctify themselves, the word sanctify here is in a negative sense. It's talking about heathen uh, worship. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens behind one tree in the midst, eating what? What swine? How do we say it today? Pig, pork, eating swine's flesh. And what? The abomination. Well, if you want to read about the abomination, go to uh, Leviticus chapter 11. It says creeping things and other things. He says It says those are an abomination. Don't eat them. Now, mind you, God warned against eating pigs in the Old Testament. And when it comes to the second coming of Christ at the end of the world, he says you better not be eating pigs. Because they're what? An abomination. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens behind one tree in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse, Oh, I don't know many people around here, but I guess in some Oriental countries they eat mice, dead or alive. Either way, God says it's an abomination. Now, if God says you shouldn't be eating pork, are you going to eat some crackers with some lard in them? Are you going to risk that? I'd say we better come clean. If God says don't do it, don't do it. Not even one bite. That's an absolute. Don't do it. The book of Revelation says there shall no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie but they were to written in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Wow, that's cashing in big, isn't it? Give up sinful self to have the kingdom of heaven forever. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the whoremongers and the murderers and idolaters, And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. If we continue in the practice of sin, if we do not have faith in Christ, and we are not getting victory over our sins, brothers and sisters, we are sacrificing heaven to gain this world, and at last we will lose all. If we are almost saved but not wholly saved, we are not almost saved but wholly lost. In other words, to be partly saved is to be totally lost. Got to make an entire surrender to to the Lord. And then we will have the victory. Now, I want to take you to another chapter in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 3. Excuse me. Isaiah chapter 3. Isaiah chapter 3, and I'm looking at verse 9. The show of their countenance doth witness against them. 
Isaiah 3, 9, the show of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin in Sodom. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. Now, in verse 9, it's talking about they declare their sin as what? What's the word there used? Hmm? Sodom, okay. I'd like for you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Book of Deuteronomy. And I'm looking at chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10. Deuteronomy 18, 10. Deuteronomy 18.10. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter pass through the fire or that useth divination or an observer of times or an enchanter or a witch or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer. Do you know what someone is who has a familiar spirit or a necromancer is? Do you know what that is? Huh? That is specifically speaking to the dead through a medium. have nothing to do with it. Palm, re- palm readers, n- none of that. Have nothing to do with it. You're simply linking up with the, the, with the powers of darkness when you go into those kinds of circumstances or consult with those kinds of people. Don't do it. God says it's an abomination. Those who consult with the dead, for all that do these things are an ab- what? Abomination unto the Lord thy God. Okay. Now, I'd like for you to go back to the book of Leviticus, Numbers 19. Verse 31 says, Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after the wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God. I am the Lord. Same thing. Now look at the next chapter, chapter 20, verse 13. Chapter 20, verse 13. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed what? What's this describing? Homosexuality and lesbianism. If a man also lie with a mankind, or as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination, they shall surely be put to death, there shall blood be upon them. So, it was a death penalty under the uh, theocracy of Moses. Now, we don't believe in the death penalty because we believe God will execute the death penalty, but we believe that those kind of people, if they do not repent, should not be in church membership. Right? They shouldn't be in church membership. It's an abomination. Okay? Now, Is the Lord trying to save homosexuals? Absolutely. Is he trying to save every other kind of person who's doing any other kind of an abomination? Absolutely. He paid an infinite price for them, but he cannot save them in their sin. 
And when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, his gospel work had been so successful, he could write to the Corinthians, and he said to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. You're not that way anymore, but you're washed, but you're justified, but you're sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's past. You don't practice that anymore. You have faith in Christ. You now have victory. You don't identify yourself as a homosexual anymore. You're a converted person. Such were some of you. Okay? Now, brothers and sisters, i got to bring this a little closer to home. When I read the Laodicean message and Jesus says you're lukewarm, you know what he's saying to us? Let me tell you what he's saying to us. When you read, this is interesting, when you read the Laodicean message, Jesus says, I would thou wert cold or hot. Because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. What does it mean to be cold and what does it mean to be hot? In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, as as iniquity abounds, the love of many shall what? Wax cold. As iniquity abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. So cold is a reference to iniquity. Laodicea is not hot and they're not cold. In other words, they've become slack on their loyalty to God. And they'll watch a little bit of bad TV and eat a little bit of lard and the crackers. They're lukewarm. Let me share something with you, brothers and sisters. If you love your money more than you love God and you love the Sabbath, you're not going to make it into the kingdom of God. You're not going to be there. Jesus paid everything to redeem you, and he wants your entire heart. Jesus says you're lukewarm. You're not hot. You're not cold. When you read the early church, the church of Ephesus, they were on fire for Christ. He says, I know thy works, that you cannot stand those which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. The early church kept the church pure. They didn't allow doctrinal impurity in. They weren't slack on doctrine. They weren't slack on truth. They were in love with Christ, and they were devoted and zealous to his service. But Laodicea, lukewarm. And Jesus says, this condition either must be overcome, or it will be what? Spewed out. Right? Now, in Isaiah chapter 3 and in other places in the Bible, First Peter chapter 3, First uh, Timothy chapter 2, the Bible is very plain that we are not to be wearing ornamentation that will abnormally attract attention to us, such as broided hair, jewelry, whatever. The jewelry, if we are going to be ready for the Lord's coming, needs to come off. Needs to come off. It's got to go. I don't have time to preach a whole sermon on it. 
But the books are there. The Bible's there. You have the Bible. You have the spirit of prophecy. Brothers and sisters, we live in an age where the the world is, and Jesus said, you know, I was in the dentist yesterday. They said, were you, what gender were you born? Are you? What's the word? Transgender. It's like, brothers and sisters, Jesus says when he comes, it will be as it was in the days of Lot. We're there. We're there. Now, please, I'm only saying the following as a matter of duty, not to be critical. Please. But it's very plain in the Bible that a woman is to look like a woman and a man is to look like a man and a woman is to dress like a woman and a man is to dress like a man. Okay? Now, in the book of Revelation, it talks about some uh, men who were in battle, Revelation chapter 9. It says they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions, and they had faces as the faces of men, but they had hair like the hair of women. They were partly in their appearance like a woman. God says no. No. I'd like for you to go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22, and I want to look at um, verse 5. Deuteronomy, chapter two, 22, and verse 5. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man... Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are, are what? Hmm. You know, the other day my family was in a small town. I wasn't there. And they saw a man walking down the street, maybe with his wife, wearing a dress. And the wife was wearing pants. So now, in, in, I was just recently reading a port report where there's, I think it's AT&T or some company where it's just protecting men who want to come to work the workplace dressed like women. Brothers and sisters, the dress issue we must look at in order for us to be right with God. If you are a follower with Christ, he tells you what you can and cannot eat. He tells you how to dress, and he is not a tyrant. He is a loving God, but he has guidelines and he has rules, and we must follow those guidelines and those rules. Or we're not his. He says if we remain lukewarm, we kind of love him. We're kind of a mixture between uh, righteousness and sin. We're a mixture, and he says, look, if you stay lukewarm, I'll cast you out. Look, Jesus wants us in his kingdom. But he says there's a narrow path you must follow. Okay? So we must commit our appetites to him. We must commit our thoughts to him. We must commit our dress to him. We must surrender wholly to him. Will he help us do it? Yeah. 
I know I like to eat what I like to eat. But you know what? If there's anything I like to eat that's not according to the will of God, I best put it away. The Bible says plainly, you better not eat pig, and you better not eat like a pig. You just read it today in Sabbath school class. Paul said in, in, in Philippians chapter 3, For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. We are not to eat pig and we are not to eat like a pig. No between meals. We are to eat that which is healthy and we are to only eat that which is sufficient for the needs of the body. Why? Because the Lord doesn't want you to be sick. He doesn't want you to be dumb. He doesn't want you to feel bad. And if you get into gluttony, you're going to have all kinds of problems with all kinds of other things. So the Lord says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. These are two really good books by Jones and Wagner. First come, first serve after church. I want to read you a statement here in closing. This is found on page 120 and 121 of the book, Christ's Object Lessons. There is a story in Matthew 13 of a man who found a treasure in a field, and when he found it, he hid it, and he went and sold all that he had so he could buy that field. Why? Because he found a very great treasure. This is a symbol of those who find Christ and they say, you know what? It doesn't matter what I'm doing that Jesus doesn't like. I love Jesus so much and I know he loves me so much and he's got the plan for my life. I'm going to follow him because he died for me. Look, brothers and sisters, should we be strutting around looking super? I'm not saying we should look ugly. That's fanatical. It's okay to look nice. You should look nice. But we shouldn't be strutting around, look at me stuff, right? Hmm. No, Jesus wore a crown of thorns. Yeah. And by the way, if you and I dressed humble in this life, in Matthew 13, it says, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let me tell you something. The glory's coming, but it's not now. If we suffer with him, Paul says, said to Timothy, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. But in Matthew 13, you have the story of a man. He finds a treasure in a field, big cash, lots of money. He went and sold everything he had. He bought the field so he could get that treasure. And then you read of another man who found a pearl of great price, and he did the same thing. He gave up everything to buy that one pearl of great price. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the pearl of great price. Now listen to this. Christ's Object Lessons, page 120 and 121. Then the glad tidings of a risen Savior were carried to the uttermost bounds of the inhabited world. The church beheld converts flocking to her from all directions. Believers were reconverted. Sinners united with Christians in seeking the pearl of great price. The prophecy was fulfilled. The weak shall be as David and the house of David as the angel of the Lord. Every Christian saw in his brother the divine similitude of benevolence and love. One interest prevailed. One object swallowed up all all others. All hearts beat in harmony. The only, now listen, the only ambition of the believers was to reveal the likeness of Christ's character and to labor for the enlargement of his kingdom. That was their only ambition, to reveal the likeness of Christ, to become like Christ, and to labor for the enlargement of his kingdom. 
win souls for his kingdom. <clears throat> With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 and 33. Then I'm going to read just a couple more sentences. The Spirit of Christ animated the whole congregation for they had found the pearl of great price. Let me share something with you. When you have Jesus, death will not intimidate you. Or he will help you at that time. I don't want to over strongly make the statement here, but in essence, death will not intimidate you. It shouldn't. I mean, there's been many who went to, to death and martyred them. It's like, Phew. praise God, I'm out of here now. <clears throat> I can't say I want to die today, but if the Lord calls me to that, then so be it. It says the Spirit of Christ animated the entire congregation, for they had found the pearl of great price. Apostolic times. Now listen to this. These scenes are to be repeated and with greater power. These scenes are to be repeated and with greater power. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was the former rain, but the latter rain will be more abundant. The Spirit of Christ awaits our demand and reception. Brothers and sisters, I would conclude with these words in Hebrews chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, that is, all those in the past who have gone before us, who have sacrificed Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Daniel, all the rest. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And he's waiting there at the, now at the throne of God to take you into the, that throne room very soon. May God grant that we will all be there and look upon his face and have eternal life forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and not sacrifice heaven for this world, but rather sacrifice this world for heaven. May God help us to be fully dedicated to one who has done so much for us. He is worthy of our love, and may he guide and bless us in these last days as we near his coming in the close of probation. Thanks, Ken, for that message.